Church, I believe, as I've continued to share with you, and God continues to impress upon my heart and my life, that he desires to do something. I think that he is on the edge of doing something, and the reason he's on the edge of doing something instead of right in the middle of doing something is that God always chooses to do his somethings through his people. And so I pray that today you will be challenged, you'll be encouraged to step into this reckless love that God has shown you, that we might be able to be a little reckless with the love of God with the people in our community. Amen? Amen. I am uh, glad that somebody asked me this morning, they said, are you excited again? And I go, you better believe I'm excited again. I am somewhere between ready to shout and ready to cry because that's how God works in me both ways. And I don't know which way it's going to come out, but probably both. But uh, church, let's be excited about what God wants. I ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, when you get there, you'll get to verse 1. Just put your finger right there. I will join you there in just a moment. You know, when we talked about studying in the book of Exodus, so many times we think about the Red Sea and then we think about the Ten Commandments. Well, God in his love for us has really brought us judiciously through his word, and we are in chapter 20, which is where the Ten Commandments are, but we're not going to get there today. God's just saying, no, we're going to stay right here. So while you're turning to Exodus chapter 20, it's on page 83 in the pew bubble. Pew bubble. You see that? <laughs> Sometimes when you get a little excited, your mouth and your head and your heart, they just don't keep up with each other. So um, your pew Bible. Now, I want to encourage you today. We're going to do a Bible drill. We're going to be going to a few places, like five places in Scripture today. So if you're a note taker, get ready to write that down. If you're a Bible drill expert, you're ready to go with me, do that. Here's one thing I'll promise you. If you want to keep up with every scripture I go to today and you want to get there quick, use the Pew Bible because I'll tell you the page number every single time. Now, sometimes you're not ready to flip, 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 but we're going to have to get through God's Word. But God's Word has a lot for us today. Hallelujah. Exodus chapter 20, we will get there in just a second. I would like to introduce you to the big blue notebook. You've been staring at it all morning going, what in the world is that? And why is it on the stage? And I even came up during worship team practice and I said, I'm putting this here on purpose. Leave it. Because God's challenged me through this big blue book. I'll tell you what this big blue book is. If you could read it right here, it says, Owner's Manuals. And you're going, oh, you're one of those people. <laughs> no, I'm not one of those people. I'm married to one of those people. <laughs> I told my wife about the big blue book. I said, honey, I love you. I'll take it as easy on you as I can this Sunday morning. But God's got a message to us, and it starts with the big blue book. Let me tell you about the big blue book. This used to be volume one, which means there was a volume two. Now, in COVID, we skinnied down to one volume. It fits in a drawer. The only thing that goes in that drawer is this big blue book, but it has all the owner's manuals of about everything we've ever bought. And one of the things we found out during COVID is we no longer need the owner's manual for that hand mixer we got at our shower before we were married. We don't even have that mixer anymore. And so we've got this big blue book, but we've got these owner's manuals. Now, I don't know about you. A lot of you guys are looking at each other like there's a whole owner's manual thing going on here. 
I don't know about you, but those owner's manuals can many times be very misunderstood. Speaking of, let me, I pulled one out. They have their own little sleeves they can just fit in there. I pulled one out. Let me just read you. This is, um, we bought this in October of 2015. It's an electric range. Let me just read you straight from the owner's manual. This use and care guide is part of our commitment to customer satisfaction and product quality throughout the service life of your new appliance. We view your purchase as the beginning of a relationship. To ensure our ability to continue serving you, please use this page to record important product information. Turn it over here. It says, do not attempt to install or operate your appliance until you have read the safety precautions in this manual. It tells me, it says the word warning. When you see the word warning, it indicates a potentially hazardous situation which, if not avoided, may result in death or serious injury. When you see the word caution, it indicates a potentially hazardous situation with, if not avoided, may result in minor or moderate injury. And then it gives me these two helpful pieces of information. Stepping, leaning, or sitting on the door of your electric range can result in serious injuries and it could hurt the appliance. That's good to know, right? Then it goes on and says, never use your appliance for warming or heating your house. Now, it goes on and on and on. And if you're like me, you go, it's an electric range. We know what to do. You put stuff in it and turn it on. You put stuff on it and turn it on. And you try not to burn yourself while you use it. And we stick this owner's manual away someplace. Or we throw it away. And we never look at it. It's interesting that way. We got, I had a friend of ours when we were first married for a wedding gift. He gave us a microwave. Now, this is just a 30-year-ago microwave, 33-year-ago microwave. It was a nice microwave. And we used it and used it and used it and used it and used it. And one day, it just didn't come on. Well, I'm not much of a handy man, so I got things a piece of junk. So I take it and I set it outside and I go get us another one. Because that's what you do when things quit working, right? You just go get another one. Talking to a friend of mine, he said, can I have that? I'll fool with it. I said, yeah, it's a piece of junk. You can have it. I saw him the next week. He was handy. I said, How's that microwave thing? He said, man, that thing runs like a top. He said, that is a great microwave. I said, you fix it? He said, yeah, all it needed was a fuse. And I'm going, how'd you know that? He said, well, for starters, all you got to do is read the owner's manual. <laughs> so many times we view the big blue book, the owner's manuals as negative, as unimportant. But do you know that this owner's manual and every single one in there and every single one you've ignored or read, every single one of them was made with lots of hard work, lots of effort, intended for your personal good, to be helpful, to protect, to ensure full enjoyment, to maximize the effectiveness of the investment. These were not created to be frustrations or recycling. They were meant to be helpful. The Big Blue Book. Now, with that backdrop, stand with me. We're going to read from Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read the first two verses this morning. Exodus chapter 20. Picking up in verse 1. 
It says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That's it for today. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to talk about this in some other places. Look in verse 1. Verse 1 says, God spoke. Now, if you recall, it was God's desire to gather the people together. It was God's desire to come down to the people, to speak to them, to enter into covenant with them. And we talked about how important it is for us to hear God personally. He doesn't want to speak to you through others all the time. He desires to have a personal relationship day to day with you. We talked about that. And if you want to understand more about that, about God's desire to speak to you, go back if you weren't here and listen to last week's message. It's on Facebook, YouTube, and on the church website, last week's message. But verse one goes on to say that God spoke all these words. Now, church, we're going to talk about God's words every time we're together, but in this, we're talking about all of the law, all of the commandments God spoke. They're his words. They're his words. That should add some weight to it. This is not somebody sitting in an office in some place you don't know putting together an owner's manual for a range that you'll only have for a period of time. These are the words of God. And therefore, they should be important. You see, they will detail the covenant relationship that God is seeking to make with the children of Israel. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, just going back to where we were, just to point that out to you, should be on the same page. It says, now therefore, this is God speaking, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God is preparing them and sharing them all his words. Then look in verse 2. It says, I am. And God goes on to speak, but I, I wanted to stop right here. I am. You recall that's the name that God gave himself when Moses said, who are you? What am I to tell the people? When they ask who you are, and God, you just, God said, you just tell them, I am is who I am. And so we don't want to miss this because it'd be real easy for us to think, well, they're just answering a question, I am, and you go on through. No, I am, church, is God saying, I am. It's another validation that these are God's words. But God says, I am, and he goes on to say, he said, I'm the Lord. He goes on to say in this verse, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. I have brought you to where you are. You're going, but God, we know who you are. You see, sometimes we go, I know how to run an oven, a range. I know. But God sparks before he says anything. He said, let me remind you who I am. Do you know that God never wastes any of his words? All of them are important. And when God says, let me tell you and remind you who I am, you know what he's saying to us in default? So, so many times you forget who I am. Right now, we're not going to forget who God is because between 10 and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, we are all ready to know who God is. Now, what we have to recognize is when service is over and 
Monday happens and Tuesday happens and Wednesday happens, are you going to remember who God is? And God says right here in his word, he said, before I tell you anything I want you to do, ministry, I want you to know who I am, intimacy. God says, I would rather you know me than know anything else. Amen? Church, we could stop right there, but don't worry, we're not. Because I started thinking about this I am statements of God, and God says, I am the Lord. I am who brought you out of Egypt. And then I started realizing, and I went back and I read, yes, Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through to chapter 20. I just read it again. Looking for things where God had done for them. God could say, I am the one who came to you. I took the initiative. God could have said, I am the one who sees you. I am the one who feeds you. I am the one who hears you. I am the one who gives you water. I am the one who guides you by day and guides you by night. I am the one who fights for you. Remember, we've studied all of these things. I am the one who is patient when you fail and patient when you complain. I am the one who has promised to give you the land. I am the one who desires you to be a special treasure. I am the one who desires you to be a kingdom of priests. I am the one who desires you to be a holy nation. I am the one who loves you. Church, two words, I am, reminder from God, can change our lives every moment this week if we would but remember who God is. Amen? Go back to verse one. All these words. He's speaking, you know, God spoke the Ten Commandments and the people heard them. We're gonna get there. The law of Moses is God seeking to establish his identity and his relationship with Israel. The Ten Commandments have been called the centerpiece of God's covenant with the people of Israel. Think about these numbers. Just let me throw this out there to you. God's law is made up in the following ways, and we're talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God's law, the Mosaic law. Before we get to the Ten Commandments, God had given Moses 203 commands already for the people. Then we're given 10 more commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and also Deuteronomy chapter 5, same thing. There will be another 155 commandments given before the sealing of the book, which ends at the end of Exodus chapter 24 when God says, that's it for the law. 2,345 commands or additions to the law of Moses that will happen from Exodus chapter 24 all the way through the book of Deuteronomy. If you're fast on math, then you know that that's 2,713 commands and 445 laws. So when God says all these words, he's not just talking about 10 commandments. They become the centerpiece and they are critical because they set the skeleton work for everything else God says. But God says a lot. And I'm convicted at times because I only listen a little. All these words God said are important. All. So when you think of commandments, what do you think? I've spoken with some of you. I know that sometimes we think that rules are dumb. Guidelines are silly. 
Speed limits are a waste of time. Some of you just jerked and looked at me. We think of limitations. We think of constraints. We think of perhaps it being unnecessary. We think of God's commands like we think of the big blue book. That is just absolutely not important. That's how we think of commandments. Our heart and our mind about laws and commands is incorrect. Do you know why within the owner's manual for a hairdryer, and I don't know why I know this except it's right in here someplace. Do you know that in the owner's manual for a hairdryer, they tell you not to use the hairdryer while you're in the tub? You're going, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Who would do that? Well, let me tell you, somebody did it. <laughs> somebody did it because there's somebody in the office going, listen, as long as there's dumb people in this world, as an owner's manual writer, I got job security. Because every day somebody's doing something wrong that I can tell them not to do next time. But they do that because we do the wrong things. This warning here, these warnings, these commands, these laws, these are not unimportant. These are not unnecessary. They were created by God for your good. Think about it this way. All those I am statements that I shared about God and Israel, it is clear that God loves his people. And therefore, everything he does, everything he says, everything he expects, every warning, every requirement, every command is rooted, church, rooted in the love of God for you. The Ten Commandments clearly echo the will of God for man. God knew that if we lived in a way that showed his character and everything that we did and everything that we said, that our lives would be lived to the fullest and would contain the greatest joy. You see, God knows us. He knows how we think, how we respond to different situations, and therefore he knows what we need in order to have the greatest relationship with him and with one another. These commandments are for our health and our good. So therefore, God stopped me this week, and he said, before we start studying the specifics of the Ten Commandments, it's vital that we, the church, understand the love and the intention of which they were given by God, and that we understand their desired outcomes for our lives. So I just want to remind you of a few scriptures. So we're going to go a few places. Now, you don't have to hold your finger in Exodus chapter 20. Unless I forget something in my notes, we're not going back there. We've set this table. But I want you to turn to Psalm 19. If you're using that pew Bible, you can go to page 628. Psalm 19. Now, remember, everything we're talking about for the next few minutes is trying to help us understand the purpose, the love, the value of God's word and God's command. So on page 628 in the Pew Bible, Psalm 19, when you get there, we're going to look at uh, verse 7. And as I read these verses, Psalm 19, verses 7 to 14, I want you to sort of be reading with me, but allow your mind to think 
and look for every time you see a reference to God's words. Okay? Every time you see a reference. And if you can, look at what that reference is supposed to bring to the person who pays attention to them. Psalm 19. Let's read verses 7 to 14 of Psalm 19. It says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, those are the words of God, your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from, cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Now, let's start with that last verse. We've heard that verse. We need to understand the context of that verse is given when we meditate, consume, live on, trust, obey the word of God. God says, when the meditations of your heart are about my word, you're going to be acceptable. Take time. You will be strengthened by that. But did you catch those? The law of the Lord is perfect, converts the soul. Testimony is sure, making wise the simple. Statutes are right, bringing rejoicing to the heart. The commandments are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, lasts forever. The judgments are true and righteous, more than gold. And did you notice it's sweeter? Do you know it's really hard to take the word sweeter, and make it negative. We can't look at this and go, God's just demanding too much from me. No, he says, it's sweeter than honeycomb. Oh, honey and the honeycomb. He said it's sweeter than what it is and where it comes from. Church, this just cannot be seen as God trying to cram an owner's manual down our throat, acting like we don't know anything. What God is really trying to do is show us who he is and what he wants to do in our life because we don't know anything. God's words are good, and they're good for us. All right, in Psalms, we're on eight, we're on 19. Go to Psalm chapter one. Psalm chapter one. If you're using that Pew Bible, you can go to page 617. Is anybody using the Pew Bible? Okay, good. I'll just keep giving you the page numbers there, but 617. In Psalm one, I'm gonna read verses one through three. Now, church, catch this. We're really looking for requirements or statements about God's word or his law or his commands and the outcome, okay? Psalm 1, 
Picking up in verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, that's the Lord's law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that springs forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Church, did you catch that? We have choices. We can walk, stand, and eventually sit in our own understanding and sin, or we can delight in the law of the Lord and allow him through that word to give us lives that thrive and prosper. Now, I want to make sure that we don't ever get this crisscross. The word prosper, so many times when it happens from a pulpit, can get misdefined. Let me tell you the way I want us to view the word prosper. God will keep his promises to you. We're not talking about some kind of worldly prosperity gospel. I'll tell you what, being a child of God is sometimes extremely hard. But I'll tell you one thing, it is always worth it. Always worth it. Amen, church? All right, now we're going to take a journey. Romans chapter 3. Wow, Jeff, you went a long way. I was with you in Psalms, but Romans chapter 3, and you're going, what page number, what page number? Well, let me get there, and I'll tell you. See, I thought this was no fun for me to have my pages marked already. I wanted to be able to go with you. Romans chapter 3, and when you get to Romans chapter 3, we're going to do verses 19 and 20. It's on page 1,296 in the Pew Bible. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Love hearing the pages turn. Thank you so much for turning. I'm going to wait for just a second because I don't want to be done by the time you get there. All right, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. God's law, God's word, beginning back in Exodus as he was given it, is to bring us to the knowledge of our sin. And you're going, Jeff, I know I have sin. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on to bring you not only to the knowledge of your sin, but it brings you to the need, to your personal need for a Savior. That's the law's purpose. Think about the Ten Commandments this way. You know them enough. We haven't studied them yet, but you know them enough. The Ten Commandments reveal and reflect God's righteousness. They present to us, as we study them, a minimum standard of righteousness that God has set for his people. And you're going, Jeff, why a minimum standard? Well, we know, having read the whole word, that Jesus comes. And let's just use the Sermon on the Mount as an example. Jesus, you've heard it said, but Jesus elevates the word and the expectation from God. He said, I don't want you not just to do it. I don't even want you to think it. He's bringing about this transformation, but it reveals how God wants us to live. The Ten Commandments not only reveal God's character, but they restrain us. 
God knows that we're following creations who need some guidelines in order to function in consideration of others. God's commands seek to restrain our strong ability to please ourselves, to look to him. Not only does it reveal God's character and restrain our behavior, it brings us to redemption. You cannot get to heaven by obeying the Ten Commandments because we cannot keep them perfectly all the time. The law shows us that we are sinners, that we need a Savior. Leave Romans chapter 3 to make a final point on this one, not the final point. I don't want you to get uh, too excited now. Galatians chapter 3, it's on page 1,339. I want Romans chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 3 to sort of bookend each other on this point. Galatians chapter 3, picking up in verse 19. All right, Galatians chapter 3, picking up verse 19, says, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to them to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but for God. But God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scriptures, but scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor, catch that word, church, tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law has a purpose, and its purpose is to bring us right to the throne of God, to see our need for a Savior named Jesus. Now, I'll also tell you that we could go to Matthew chapter 5. We're not. You can make this note. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Jesus says there, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. So we need to understand that while the covenant of God might have been temporary. Jesus said, I'm filling it all. I'm fulfilling it all. And when Jesus says, I'm fulfilling the law, he's making it important. And therefore, we should as well. And then I could take you to Luke chapter 10. I'm not, but write this down, verses 25 to 28. Jesus was asked, what does it take to be able to get to heaven? And he said, do this, do this, do this, do this. Let me just read that to you as we get ready to close. Luke chapter 10 is where I'm going. Verses 25 to 20, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Church, catch this. What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You are right. Do this and live. Jesus not only came to fulfill the law, but he came to 
simplify the law for us. If we would but yield our lives to God fully, he would then teach us how to love one another. And that's what God desires. You see, the first, the Ten Commandments, the first four have to do with our relationship before God. The last six have to do with our relationship before man. And Matthew Henry put it well in 1708. Let me just read you this quote. You got to really hold on to it. It's written in this old English. It says, it is fit, talking about why the first four commandments are for God and the last six are for men and why the ones for God should come first. It says, it is fit that these, the first four, should be first because man had a maker to love before he had a neighbor to love. It cannot be expected that he should be true to his brother who is false to his God. Matthew Henry said, there is no way that you're going to be able to fulfill the law until you love God first, and then you'll love man. Church, it always boils down to loving God with all of our heart. See, the law had a purpose for Israel and for you and for me to show us our need, and to show us God's provision through Jesus. Once we understand the purposes of the law, see, we're going to talk about that a lot. If you walk in here and you go, oh, no, it's the big blue book conversation again. We're talking about the law of God, and you see law, and you, you picture God as coming in and going, that's how you serve me. That's not what God has done. God has said, let me tell you how much I love you. Let me tell you how much you need me. Let me tell you how to be fixed, be better. Let me tell you how to solve your issue, how to help your heart, how to mend your relationships. It's all right there in the owner's manual. And church, so many times, we bring this on Sunday. And then the next time we open it is Sunday. And we wonder why God is not moving more. Be in the Word. Be in the Word. This is your owner's manual. Let me go back and make one final statement. Now, then I've said this. Let me read this. Think about this statement in an owner's manual, but put it in the perspective of what God is saying. This use and care guide, it's pretty cool, huh? Is part of our commitment to customer satisfaction. I was okay with our there, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and product quality throughout the service life of your new appliance, this new heart, Scripture says, we've been given. We view your purchase as the beginning of a relationship. It's right there. A pastor could not write this better. It's right there. God says this. You accept Jesus and you pick this up and you live in it. That's the beginning of a relationship. Church, let me tell you, if God truly wants to do something in this church, and I believe he does, if he truly wants to do something in your family, and I believe he does, if he truly wants to do something in your life, and I believe that he does in my life, you know how we're gonna find it? By every day, being in God's word and allowing him to bring us to that full life 
that this owner's manual has promised. Amen? Amen. Amen.